0: Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, our scripture reading this morning will again be Hebrews 13 verses 20 and 21. Hebrews chapter 13 verses 20 and 21. But Before we hear the reading of God's Word, let us pray and seek His blessing. Father, we come before You this morning humbly asking that You would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive Your Word as it is, as the very Word of God. Father God, may we be nourished, may we be equipped, may we be strengthened to walk in the way that You have set before us through the ministry of Your Word here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. This is the very Word of God. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great Shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Last Sunday, when we looked at these same verses, we we considered the profound significance of being blessed by the God of peace. The God who who is bringing peace to the cosmos. The God who is making all things new and thus calming our internal anxieties and fears and, and healing the broken relationships that we have with one another and even reconciling us to Himself by by making propitiation a sacrifice for our sins so that we might inherit his peaceful kingdom the god who does all this blesses us and as we saw if we have his blessing there is no other blessing that we need if he is for us who can be against us. If we are free to drink deeply from His fountain of living water, we have no need to dig for ourselves broken cisterns that ultimately can hold no water. But this morning I want us to go beyond thinking just that this God blesses us, and I want us to look more closely at the blessing itself. Look again at the blessing that is ours by the blood of the eternal covenant. Look again at this blessing that the God of peace bestows on us in the Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. The author tells us that by the blood of the eternal covenant, he equips us with everything good that we might do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever. And ever. Amen. I want us to notice at least three things in this blessing this morning. The first thing I want us to see is that God has a will for us to do, He he blesses us that we might do His will. Part of the blessing is that He has a will for us, and it's a will that we can do. We need to understand why this is good news. But secondly, we also need to see that not only does He have a will for us to do, but He equips us with everything good so that we can do it. Whatever it is He has for us to do, He gives us what we need to do it. But the blessing is even more than this, because thirdly, not only does He equip us to do His will, but He actually works in us. According to His immeasurably great power, He works in us to do His will. So these will be our three points this morning, God's will, God's equipping, and God's working. We begin with God's will. And really we need to start here because because we need to understand why this is part of the blessing. Why is it good news that God has a will for us to do? And if we're going to get there, we first have to understand what he means by God's Will, What does the author mean when he, when he speaks of God's will for our lives? I want to say first what he doesn't mean. The author is not talking about God's secret plan for your life. He's not talking about that, that, that detailed map by which you're going to walk in the middle of his will. He's not talking about the particular job or even the particular spouse that he has for you. The Bible simply never speaks about God's will as His secret plan for your life that you were supposed to be trying to figure out. People think this way. People have have thought of God's will and they've talked about God's will in this way. As if there is this, this choreographed path that you're supposed to figure out and follow, following all of God's clues. And as long as you stay in the middle of it, you will experience His best for your life. But that is not the way that Scripture speaks about the will of God. When the Scriptures speak about the will of God, they, they, they do use that language in one of two ways. Sometimes they, they speak about God's will referring to God's decree. We, we see this, for example, in a passage like Ephesians chapter 1, where we're told that God works all things according to the counsel of His will. God decrees, God determines what will happen. He is sovereign over space and time. All things happen according to the counsel of His will. Not a sparrow falls to the ground. Not a hair turns black or white apart from your Father's will. This is God's providence. This is His, His, His sovereign reign over all of His creation. And we can speak of God's decree as God's God's will. But even more often than speaking of, of His decree, when the Scriptures speak of God's will, they are referring to His commands. When I used to work with college students who tend to be a bit more anxious about discerning God's will than maybe the rest of us. They're in that, that time of life when, when they are trying to figure out what they are going to do and the decisions they are making will, will affect the decades to come. And so they want to know God's will for their life. And I would, I would tell them, do you know there's a verse in the Bible that tells you God's will for your life? 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, this is God's will. <laughs> but what is God's will? It's not the school you should go to. It's not whom you should marry. But this is God's will for your life, that you be holy. That you conform to the pattern set forth in His moral law. That's what it is to to do God's will, to conform to the pattern of holiness that He has set before us. We we can think of God's will as a a framework for for living well. It's a a framework defined by, by God's values and by God's objectives. God's values set forth in His moral law. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not bear false witness. Do not covet. This is is God's will for your life. And we are to abide by that will as we pursue His Kingdom, Seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness. As we seek to love our neighbor. As we, as we seek to, to come alongside those who are oppressed and speak up for those who, who have no voice. As we seek to do justice and love mercy. This is God's will. And that's the will that the author is speaking about here. He is, he's speaking about doing life in a way that conforms To the pattern that God has set before us. He's not talking about figuring out the one right thing to do. But rather, he is talking about figuring out one right thing to do amongst the myriad of options. How is it that you can glorify God? How is it that you can love your neighbor? How is it that you can serve the marginalized in the place that God has put you? That is what it means to do God's will. And we need to recognize that God has a will for us to do. But why is that a blessing? Why is it part of the blessing... That God has a will for us to do. I I know that that for many of us, we we think of someone having a will for our lives as an imposition or as a a burden. We don't like it when others have something for us to do. We we are under the delusion that freedom to do what we want is where life is at. That the ultimate blessing is, is being free from obligation, being free from duty, being free from the will of others to rule our own lives you need to understand that that is a delusion. The the, the idea that that such freedom is a blessing is one of Satan's oldest lies. It's the lie that he told in the garden to Adam and Eve. It's the lie that he said it would be better if you were like God, if you had the freedom to decide for yourself good and evil. It would be better if you could do what you wanted and didn't have to serve another. And it's a lie that he has been telling ever since. Think of what Paul says in in Romans chapter 6. He speaks about those who are free in regard to righteousness, those who who have freedom to, to do what they want. But he says they're not truly free. On the contrary, they are slaves of sin. If you are not a slave of God, you are a slave of sin. And that road, Paul says, leads to death. He asks, what fruit were you getting at that time from those things which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. Life is not found in freedom to do your own thing, to follow your own path, but rather life is found in being the slave of God. He goes on, now that you have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, leads to Holiness leads to the fulfillment of God's will. And the end of that path is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the end for which we were created. You see, freedom... Ultimate freedom, absolute freedom to to do our own thing, to go our own way, to make our own decisions. Such freedom is contrary to our design. Satan whispers, wouldn't it be great? But in truth, we were created to find our joy in service. We heard this even in our call to worship this morning. Think of the psalmist saying, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Better to be a servant in God's house than to abide anywhere else. If that sounds hard to believe, I challenge you just to reflect upon your own experience. I am certain that you have had those moments when you have been energized by having something of worth to do, something important to do. Even if the work was grueling, even if the work was was toilsome, you found life, you found energy, you found joy in the deep satisfaction of working towards a a worthy goal, of of serving an important this is, this is why we as human beings, whether we're Christians or not, are, are attracted to causes. We like to, to devote ourselves to, to causes, whether it's the environment or whether it's social justice, whether it's education, whether it's abortion, whatever the cause may be. We, we like to give ourselves to, to causes bigger than ourselves. Because we find joy in serving a higher purpose. That's the irony of selfishness. The irony of selfishness is that in pursuing our own happiness as the ultimate end, we actually cut ourselves off from it. Because the one who would save his life will lose it. But the one who loses his life in the service of Christ finds it. But it has to be Christ, because even the best cause apart from Him will ultimately leave you cold. It is only what is done in the name of the Lord. It is only what is done in the name of the cosmic king and in the, the service of his eternal kingdom that will ultimately satisfy. Because all lesser goals ultimately reduce to a chasing after the wind. God has placed eternity in our hearts. And we can find service in, in that eternity only when we serve the eternal king. And that is why it is such a blessing to know that God has a will for your life. The eternal king has called you into his service. The eternal king has work for you to do. He has prepared good works that you might walk in them. He has set before you a course that he would have you run for the sake of His glory and the good of His kingdom. And so we must see this first. We must see that that God has work for us to do and that is good. God's blessing is that He has a purpose for your life. God's blessing is that you, you don't have to serve yourself But you can serve the eternal King. But seeing this, we must press on. Because yes, it is a a blessing to have work to do. But there's more here. Because notice what the author says next. Now may the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do His will. And so the blessing is not merely that God has a will for you to do. It's not merely that you get to serve the, the eternal king of the cosmos. That is a profound blessing. But more than this, the eternal king of the cosmos promises to give you everything good that you can do the work that he has prepared for you. So ask yourself what will I need? What will I need to do the will of God? What will I need to, to do those good works that God has prepared for me this week, this month, this year? As you answer that question in your own heart, I suspect that, that some of you immediately thought of, of externals. Resources like, like money or, or position or, or, or time. Time. I can remember when New Hope, the, uh, the ministry I mentioned in the announcements, I remember when they were trying to, to transition to a, a medical clinic and they, they needed money for an ultrasound. They, they felt like this was the good work that God had given them to do in this community. They knew it would make a difference. But if they're going to do that work, it takes money because they're not giving away ultra ultrasound uh, machines for free. And so they, they needed money to do the will of God. Or I can think of a, a church planter who was trying to plant a a church among the, the Cherokee. But he needed to establish relationships. He needed to build trust. He needed to find some connection with that community so that, so that he could become one of them, so that he might serve them. He, he needed a position in the community. Or sometimes it's just time. God has laid it upon your heart to, to volunteer as a tutor or to, to volunteer at the Caring Place, but your schedule is already over full. And you're trying to figure out how you can find the time to do the things that God is setting before you to do. These are externals. But I'm sure that others of you thought first of, of more internal realities. You need wisdom. There's, there's someone in your life who you've been called upon to, to love well, and you have no idea how to do it. You need wisdom. Wisdom. Maybe it's not that you don't know how to do it. Maybe you just don't want to. You need desire. You need God to to stir up your love for this person. You need Him to cause your love to abound, that you might serve them well. Or maybe it's grit, determination, resolve. You've been doing it for so long, and and it's become tiresome. You're you're ready to give up. You're ready to, to burn out. You need God to strengthen your resolve. That you might do the things that He has given you to do. There's externals, there's, there's internals, and I, and I want us to understand that everything includes both. Everything is everything that you will need to do the good will of God. I say this because we see Paul praying for both internals and externals throughout his letters. He's not afraid to ask God for for either. He he asks God to to fill himself and and to fill the Colossians with the knowledge of God's will. He asks to pour out wisdom. He asks to to cause love to abound. He asks to, to strengthen resolve. He asks for these things in prayer, knowing that they are among the good gifts that God will give. But he also asks for externals. He asks for protection when he is traveling. He asks that he might be protected from from wicked men. He asks for financial support. He asks for all sorts of externals that he will need to do the will of God. And so we know that the blessing of God to to give us every good thing includes both the externals and the internals that we will need to do His will. Everything is everything. So think about the magnitude of that blessing. Let it it sink into your mind and to your heart. God has work for you to do. You, You have work of eternal significance to do this week. And everything you need to do it is at your disposal. I hear people talking uh, all the time about an abundance mindset. This is a big fad amongst the consulting community today. We we want to live with an abundance mindset. We don't don't want to have a scarcity mindset. We don't want to focus on what we don't have. We want to focus on what we do have because we we will accomplish so much more if we're aware of our abundance rather than our scarcity. And there's, there's some wisdom in that. But the truth of the matter is, we do not always have everything we need to do the things we want to do. Sometimes scarcity is just the reality, and you can have an abundance mindset all you want. You still don't have the resources. But as Christians, that is never the case. As Christians who who long to do the will of God, we never have scarcity. We never lack the resources we need to do what He has given us to do. If you lack the resources to do something, it's because He isn't ready for you to do that yet. He has given you everything you need to do what He has prepared in advance for you to do. Every good thing that we need to do His will is ours in Christ. But even that isn't the complete blessing. Yes, God has work for you to do, and that is good. And yes, He has promised to equip you with everything good that you may do that good work. But there is even more. Notice the next phrase. He equips us, even as He is working in us, that which is pleasing in His sight. You see, God doesn't just equip us and then send us off to get after it. He doesn't just give us the tools and then then expect us to go and, and do the job. God equips us and then at the same time He works in us. Now let me say, this is a profound mystery. It is, it is difficult for us to, to comprehend what it means for God to, to work in us. I've always been perplexed by Paul's language at the end of, of Colossians chapter 1. Paul says that he proclaims Christ. That's his ministry. That's the work that he is doing. I can understand that. I know what it is to to proclaim Christ, instructing and, and admonishing so that everyone might grow up towards maturity in Him. I know what that means, but then he adds, for this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. Paul says, I do all this work that I've been given to do in the strength that He is working in me. What does it feel like exactly to... To toil and to struggle with somebody else's strength. What does that feel like? It's it's mysterious. It's it's difficult for us to understand exactly. We've had glimpses of it. We've had tastes of it. We can see it in retrospect when we know that, oh, I never would have made it through that if God hadn't been with me. But it's not always clear how we tackle a project in God's strength. But I think this much is clear. clear. God is at work while we are at work. God's work doesn't nullify our work. Doing something in God's strength doesn't feel like not working. It is both and, not either or. God works in us as we work, even through our work. Work. And so God working in us doesn't mean that there's nothing for us to do. It doesn't even mean that there's nothing hard for us to do. It doesn't mean that everything will, will come easy or that every victory will, will be a breeze. Paul labored. Paul toiled. Paul struggled. The, the word is he agonized. He worked hard even as God worked in him. And it will be the same for you. It will be the same for us. We will need to work hard, but we can pursue that work knowing that God is at work in us to will and to do His good pleasure. So if you set out today to do God's will, not only will He give you everything good you need to do the good works that He has prepared for you, but He will actually work in you with all His immeasurable strength to do and to accomplish His purposes. I'll give you an illustration. It's not not a perfect analogy, of course, but but think of it this way. Imagine that you're at work and and you have a big project set before you. Your, your, Your boss has something important for you to do. That's a blessing in and of itself, to have important work to do. But of course it would be an even bigger blessing if your boss gave you everything you needed. If he put at your disposal every resource you needed to do that job. It is a frustrating thing to have important work to do and not have the resources to do it. And so it is a blessing that he has work. It is a blessing that he has placed every resource at your disposal. But it is possible that you could have important work to do and that you could have every resource at your disposal and still not be able to accomplish the task. I've had this happen any number of times in home projects. Something needs fixing. I find out the tool that is needed. I borrow it from someone. I come home, and I sit. And I wonder, now what am I supposed to do with this exactly? How exactly am I supposed to, to go about this? I had this happen in St. Louis once. We were doing something in our, one of our bathrooms, and I struggled with the project all morning, and I walk, finally walked across the street to my neighbor, and he said, oh yeah, they make a tool for that. I was like, it would have been good to know. And he, he said, I've got one. And he loaned me the tool and he sent me back across the street. And the afternoon didn't go any better than the morning. I now had the tool. I knew that what I was supposed to do. And still, I could not accomplish the project. And so, before dinner, I walked back across the street. And I said, can you come show me how to do this? Can you some show me how to use this tool? And how much greater was the blessing when he came with the tool and worked alongside me. Of course, it's not a perfect analogy because he's working alongside me. But it's something like the picture. How much better is it not only when we have every resource at our disposal, but when we have the Almighty King working not only alongside us, but in us. That is the blessing. That is what the author wants the Hebrews to see. God has work for you to do. He has placed at your disposal every good thing that you will need to do His will. And He has even promised to work in you through His immeasurably great strength that you might accomplish His purposes. And so when you begin to see the full picture, you begin to understand how profound a blessing this truly is. But I think there's a danger also so let me give you one warning. It is possible that when we hear that, that God has work for us to do and that He's going to give us everything we need to do it and that He's actually going to even work in us to accomplish it, it is possible that in our, our excitement in that moment that we will set off to find the big, momentous thing that God has for us to do. And we will be tempted to, to set aside all the seemingly little things that have been consuming our days for so long. After all, if God is going to be at work in us, let's do something great. Sounds like it makes sense. And certainly there are are some things that have been consuming our days that we ought to set aside. There are some things that fill up your schedule that don't actually need to fill up your schedule. But we would be wrong to assume that God's will for us is always something extraordinary. We'd be wrong to to think that the things that God has for us to do are always big and momentous. Most of the things that God has for us to do are actually quite ordinary. I'm not saying that God will never give you something extraordinary. Certainly, there are times when, when God calls us to extraordinary work. But most of the time, the works that He has prepared for us are the ordinary, everyday works of ordinary, everyday life. And so my warning to you is simply this. Do not neglect the ordinary. But rather let the the, the profound wonder of this blessing motivate you to pursue the ordinary with extraordinary zeal. Do the ordinary things that He has given you to do to the glory of your King and the good of your neighbor. Who is it that He has given you to love even this week? It's probably someone you've known for a long time. It might be someone who lives under your roof. Or someone who who lives next door. Someone you'll see at the office. Everything you need to love them well is yours in Christ. And if you will endeavor to love them god will work in you that you might love them effectively who is it he's given you to serve what needs has he placed in your path what goods has he given you to accomplish what good works lie before you in the ordinary course of your ordinary life this ordinary week begin there and if you don't know Pray. Ask God to to open your eyes. Ask Him to, to, to show you what it is that He's already given you to do. Ask Him to show you what is already on your plate. And when you begin to see it, engage. Engage with the bold confidence of an abundance mindset. Engage with the bold confidence of knowing that this is God's work and all of His resources and His strength are at your disposal. And as you are faithful in the little things that He gives you to do day by day, you can trust that He will slowly increase your responsibility. He will slowly increase the opportunities you have to serve the glory of His name and the good of His kingdom. And because He has and because He will give you these good works to do, supplying you with everything you need to do them. That is one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let us believe it together. Father God, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your blessing. We thank You that You have called us out of darkness into light. Not to to be passive, but to work. To do those good works that You have prepared in advance that we might do them. Father, open our eyes to see them and open our hearts to trust that every good thing we need is already ours in Christ by the blood of the eternal covenant. And so may we approach the work that You have given us to do in His name and for the glory of His kingdom. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.